be seated. If you have your Bibles this morning, I trust that you do. If you can open with me to two different places in the Bible, Psalm 139 and Jeremiah 23. So Psalm 139 and Jeremiah 23. And welcome to week 14 of a series that has us walking through the attributes of God, a series that we are calling Behold, where we are beholding just one attribute after another after another. And as we do so, understand that we are dealing with some heavy topics and some heavy um, issues when it comes to God. As, as we've been continually reminded of that these attributes are not truths that we have discovered about God, but are instead truths that God has graciously revealed to us. We've put it from week one this way. It takes God to know God. So if we're going to know God, it's because God has revealed himself to us, not because we're some superior um, people and we have somehow discovered him. No, God has made himself known to us. We can know God. We can seek God. We can dive into the goodness and faithfulness of this God. I love the words of Charles Spurgeon who says this, There is something exceedingly improving to the mind in contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Let me just stop there real quick. If God would do nothing more, I pray that he would do that today, that our minds would be lost in just the greatness of God and that our pride would be drowned um, in, in who God is. Then he says other subjects we can comprehend and grapple with, but when we come to this master science, our plumb line cannot sound its depth, our eyes cannot see its height, but while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man, so all of us as a devout, earnest, continuing investigation of the great subject of the deity. So what we are doing, brothers and sisters, is not just eternally beneficial. It is right now beneficial for us. For it is expanding our minds, our, our actual souls. It is, um, we're losing our minds in who he is. And hopefully we're seeing our pride um, swept away as we are in his presence. But here's something else we need to remember. And I, I don't know if you've reminded yourself of this this morning, but here's a good time to remember this, is that we are a fallen people. So every one of us in this room, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, as fallen people, if or when left to ourselves, we will all come up with distorted pictures of God. So when left to ourselves, we will all come up with pictures of God that fall short of who God actually is. Or think of it this way, and we kind of introduced this a couple months back, that our mental image of God is a montage, meaning um, a montage of early experiences in our lives, a montage of our family life growing up, a montage of all of the religious training that we've ever experienced or received, every circumstance, um, everything anyone has ever told us to be true about God. All of these different things over the years have brought us to today. And today, when we close our eyes in prayer, or when we sing to God, or when we think about God, we have a picture. So all of us do. When we sing to God, when we pray, when we think about God, we have a, a picture concerning who He is. The problem with many 
is their picture of God is not a biblical one, which is not just a small problem. It is a huge problem. It's a huge problem. For if your God that you are thinking of and singing about, if he's not the God of the Bible, then he can't save you. And that is huge. That is huge. So every man-made picture of God that we will come up with will always fall short of the beauty, of the splendor, of the majesty of this God. Remember, this God, we cannot know him fully. We can never get to the bottom of him, but we can know him truly. For he has made himself known to us. And this morning we come to um, this subject of the omnipresence of God. And we are going to get deep this morning. So go ahead and roll up your pants legs because we're going we're to get a little deeper than maybe normal. But just think about this question. In case you're, you're maybe right now you're thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? Think about this question. God, where are you? Or where is God? It is a question that every single one of us in this room have, have, we have asked at one time or another. God, where are you? Or where is God? That question, the seeker wants to know. The skeptic wants to know. The guilty sinner wants to know. Most times so that he can keep running the opposite direction. It has been said that the guilty sinner doesn't find God the same reason that a criminal doesn't find a police officer because you're not looking for him. You don't want to be found by him. And then that every, I think every hurting person who feels abandoned by the Almighty needs to know where God is. God, we need to know where you are. While in my pain, God, I'm hurting. Where are you? So over the next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take on the omnis of God. We have already touched on these indirectly, and now we're going to spend the next three weeks kind of drilling down and immersing ourselves in these truths. These truths should always be kept together, and they are um, that God is omniscient, that he is omnipotent, and that he is omnipresent. The first means he is all-knowing. The second means he is all-powerful. The third means that he is present everywhere. Or, or Pastor Tony Evans put it this way. He says that God knows what needs to be done. That's omniscience. He has the power to do it. That's omnipotence. And he's always wherever he needs to be to do whatever needs to be done. And that is omnipresence. This is the picture of who God is. But let me just kind of step back and say this. The one that we are coming to today, omnipresence, is the hardest for us to grasp. It's the hardest truth out of all of these for us to grasp. And even out of all the, ones, the attributes we're looking at, it's, it's hard for us to grasp that God is everywhere at the same time. Think about omniscience, wisdom. Most of us can get wisdom a little bit. We can, we can understand what it means to have wisdom. For every single one of us, at one time or another, we have thought that we knew it all, right? Whether it be when we were a teenager, some of you, you're kind of peaking right now. And you know it all, and if you don't believe, you'll just ask you, and I'll tell you all you need to know. So some of us, we're kind of in that place, or we have been in that place. So we get knowledge. We also, we get power. We understand power. We, maybe at times in our lives we've had it, or we've seen other people have it, or misuse it, or other, those kind of things. So we can somewhat get wisdom. We can kind of understand power. But there is no sense by which we can understand omnipresence. We just can't. We have never been present everywhere at the same time. And that's what it means. Everywhere present at the same time. It has been said that God is our environment. In the same way that the, 
The sea is the environment of fish, or the air is the environment of birds. God is our environment. God is everywhere. From here in this room where we are sitting to beyond the galaxies that the, that the Hubble has, has probed, God is there. Let me just say this as well. Most people aren't comfortable with this image of God. Most people aren't comfortable with an omnipresent God. Therefore, that's why we have created idols. That's why we have idols, because people want a God that we can leave at home. We want a God that we can leave somewhere and we can go do what we want to do when we want to do it, apart from the knowledge of that God. And then we can come back to our God, pick him up and say, I love you. You know, we want a God that we can limit, a God that we can understand. We want a God that we can touch and, and fill. But remember, any God that we can create in our image cannot save us. So no matter how much people might try to keep this God out, God is everywhere here. He is close to everything and he is next to everyone. Or in the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, this is the fundamental thing. The most serious thing of all is that we are always in the presence of God. The most serious thing of all, we are always in the presence of God. He is near. He is here. So let us turn now to his word. And if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. We're going to read Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12, and then skip over to Jeremiah 23 and read verse 24 together. So Psalm 139, when you get there, let me hear you say. Amen. So beginning of verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. And if we can turn over to Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 24. Jeremiah 23, 24, and it says this, and this is the word of God talking. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you, and God, we, we know that we are not coming before a God who is limited to time and space, a God who um, has been divided and um, reduced and reduced and reduced again so that you can somehow be with all of us, God. You are everywhere present. And everywhere you are present, you are present there with power. You are present there, um, Lord, with, with strength. You are present there, God, with glory upon glory upon glory. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have just to dive into your word and even though lord we're going to go deep in some places today god just we pray as we go deep that you would drown our pride drown our pride god if nothing else we would leave here saying i'm not and you are i can't and you can i can't be there but god you are there 
Lord, help us to, to leave here, Lord, knowing that you are what we aren't. So speak to us by your word. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Drill down in our hearts and lives. Convict us. Draw us ever closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So again, this picture of omnipresence, most of us struggle to understand omnipresence because it's so foreign to our own experiences. The doctrine teaches that God is wholly present everywhere. Uh, one, one person says this, God is not like a substance spread out um, in a thin layer all over the earth. No, all of him is in Chicago, in Calcutta, in Cairo, in Caracas. All of him there at one and the same time. Or in another way, God is not like a layer of peanut butter spread all over um, a piece of bread. No, all of God is completely present at every point in the universe all the time. God hasn't spread himself thin by being everywhere present. No, God is just as much God here as he is a thousand miles away from here. He is present as fully as though he was nowhere else. He is ever present even when there's no evidence of it in our lives. He is with us. One writer has said that God's presence is like the air we breathe. And he says air is often odorless, tasteless, and visible. Unless you've ever went to a country where the air is polluted. I've gotten off planes in some countries and it's like, oh man, what in the world is going on here? But it's pollution, not the air. But air that we breathe is odorless, it's tasteless, it's invisible, but we need it. If we don't have it, guess what? We die. In the same way God's presence is everywhere with us. And if God withdrew his presence from us, but for a moment, we wouldn't make it. We wouldn't make it. We couldn't survive even for a moment. I love the words of an early church father who says, God is over all things, under all things, outside all, within, but not enclosed, without, but not excluded. He is above, but not raised up, below, but not depressed, holy above, presiding, holy beneath, sustaining, and holy within us, filling. This is our God. Brothers and sisters, we don't believe like other nations believe. When we read the Bible, when we read, and we're about to be reading more and more nations in our Bible reading plan, we're going to read of nation after nation after nation who believed in, in deities that were um, confined to a certain area. They were only the deity of our nation, and our God governs our nation, our God or our God only governs this part of nature. And then we have another God for this part of nature, and another God that does this and does that. That These gods of pagan nations are completely confined and completely limited, but that is not our God. He rules over it all. Think of, think of it like this. God rules everywhere that he exists, and he exists everywhere. So God rules. Wherever God is, he rules, and he is everywhere. So he is ruling everywhere. 
So let's dig in this morning and look at three truths related to the the presence of God, the omnipresence of God, and and I pray that we would end in a way that just kind of brings it all home to us. And some of these times we're going to get a little deep today, but again, if it gets deep and it feels like it's over your head, ask God, say this, God, drown my pride. God, drown my pride in who you are. So the first truth is this, God's presence is uncontainable. God's presence is uncontainable. In the early days of space travel, one of the Russian cosmonauts returned from orbiting the Earth to announce that he had looked out the space capsule window and he said, and God wasn't there. So he made that proclamation to which Dr. W.A. Criswell, who was a pastor at First Baptist Church of Dallas at the time, replied, well, tell him he should have taken off his spacesuit for just a second and he would have met God. <laughs> so we have, we have this picture where God is here And God is there wherever there is. Wherever there might be. If it's in space or if it's another part of the world, God is there. Solomon says so much when he dedicated the temple in 1 Kings 8.27. He says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built... Heaven and the highest heaven can't contain this God. Even the prophet Jeremiah that we just read about in Jeremiah 23, 24 said, God says, do I not fill heaven and earth? I fill it all. Everything in between, everything beyond, I am filling. Theologians rightly make a distinction between the immensity of God and the omnipresence when they talk about God's relationship to space. So just follow with me here. Immensity affirms that God is over all. He transcends all. That his being cannot be contained or localized. So he is above all. Yet his omnipresence shows us that he is with us. That he sustains his creation. That he is with us every step of the way. God is is not in space the way that we are in space. Or the way that the angelic host is in space. We have material bodies. So all of us, do, do me a favor. I want you to take your arm, put it out, and pinch yourself. We all um, have a body, a material body. Nobody said Al, so I don't think, I don't believe you. So I want you to pinch the person beside you. No, let's not go there. Um, but we all have material bodies. They are bound by space, and we can be here and not there, or we can be there, but we won't be, be here. That is the body, a body that all of us have. We occupy space. Then think about angelic spirits or think about those who are dead in Christ now in the intermediate state. They are not bound by space, but they are somewhere and not everywhere. But then you have God and God and God alone fills all space. He cannot be divided. He cannot be separated He cannot have one part of his being here and another part of his being there. No, the whole part of his being is everywhere, always. Or to put it bluntly, as someone said, when God created all things out of nothing, he did not have to move out of the way to make room for the world. No, the world is where he is. God did not have to move out of the way to make room for the world. No, he made the world in his presence. He is everywhere in it. So do me a favor. I want you to just make believe right now that you are holding a box. And I want you to repent for times in your lives where you have taken a God that you say is the God of the word and put him in that box. 
and realize that the God that we serve can't be put or contained in a box. He is greater than that and allow him to break out of that today. Allow him to be him. Allow him to be who he forever will be. God's presence as well as God himself is uncontainable. Which leads us to the second truth which is this. God's presence is unmistakable. God's presence is unmistakable. Have you ever been, you've ever been in a conscious presence of God where you know God was just talking to you. There was no way around it. It was God. It wasn't heartburn. It wasn't the Mexican food you had earlier, Mike. Um, it was God speaking to you and you knew it. Why? Because God's presence is unmistakable to us. Or it should be. There's a category for created things. So we exist in this category. Animals exist in this category. Angels and demons exist in this category. Even Satan himself exists in this category. Most of us, if we're, if we're not careful, many professing believers get this wrong. They view Satan as being like a, um, maybe just a smaller version of God, but yet he has all the same attributes as God. But understand this, Satan is created. He is not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. He, he is not everywhere present. He is not. We view, oftentimes we think that God and Satan have this battle going on and sometimes God wins, sometimes Satan wins because that's how it feels to us. But then in the end, God is going to win. And we have this dualism type deal, but that's not it. This isn't dualism. This is domination. God made him and God, Satan is just a puppet in the hands of our God. Understand that. Stop giving him more power than he deserves. And stop limiting what you believe God to be. It's amazing how we give, we, we take Satan and we blow him up here and then we take God and we bring him down here. Let's do the opposite. And let, let's see what happens there. So all created things exist in a category. And then there's a category for God. And get this, he alone is in it. He's a category of one. There, nobody else is in his category. He is our creator. And when I say that God's presence is unmistakable, what I mean is, is he, he is distinct from us. God is above the creation that he made. Think about what Colossians 1, 16 and 17, and referring to Christ's part in creation, it says this, For by him all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything, all things were created by him, were created through him, yet God is not part of all things. Let me say that again. All things have been created by God, but God is not part of all things because God is not created. He is in a category of one. All by himself. And just think, about the, just think about creation. W.G. Holmes, a, a man of India, told a story of seeing a Hindu worshiper tapping on a tree and then on a stone, whispering, God, are you there? God, are you there? I remember my first time to, to India. An American missionary took us around, and we saw these trees. And I know um, Mike and Jordan and, and Robert and others have seen these trees that have these red spray paint on it or that has ropes on it and all these things. And, but we, we saw this tree and a woman brought her kids up to this tree. 
And they begin just to cry out and pray and lay their hands on the tree. And then they go and walk inside to a, a priest and paid money for oil and came back out and threw it all over the tree. And I just imagine there had to be times where it's like, are you there? God, are you there? Are you there? Can you imagine just the, the vacuum it would cause to pray to a tree? that can't answer, that has no hands to hold us up and cannot lead us and be the shepherd that we need. And yet we often pray, God, are you there? God, are you there? And God says, open your eyes and look around because everything in this creation is pointing to the fact that I'm here. I am here. I'm next to everyone. I'm near everything. I'm free in the universe. And through Jesus Christ, I am accessible to every longing heart. But let me also say this. When we say that God is in everything, in a sense, it doesn't mean that everything is God. There is a belief called pantheism that believes it's called all God. So pantheism, that God is in everything. So because God is in everything, then everything is God. So God is in that tree, therefore the tree is God. God is in this, so therefore that is God. God is in us, we are God. So this picture of everything that God is in is God himself. And step back for a second, let me just say this. God is everywhere, but God is not everything. God is God alone. He is God alone. Omnipresence is also not deism. Deism believes that God created the earth. God is transcendent. He's over it. But he no longer cares about creation. That he could care less what is happening in our lives. He's taken his hands off creation and he says, have at it. Yet the Bible, although the Bible says that God is distinct from his creation, get this. The Bible says God cares greatly for his creation don't allow the enemy to convince you one moment longer that god doesn't care about what you're going through he cares he cares what does scripture say cast your cares upon him why he cares because he cares. he wants your cares it does nothing for God for us to say, look at all the things that I'm carrying. Look at the weight that I'm carrying. God is saying, no, give those to me and let me carry them for you because I care. This is the picture and the beauty of our God. So although God's presence is unmistakable in the world that we live in, many sinful people remain mistaken about him, meaning we all know people, and if we're not careful, we become those people who we live as if God doesn't matter. Or we live as if we don't need Him. And just think about what we give up when we live as if God doesn't matter. In Psalm 16, verse 11, listen to what it says at the very top there. It says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. If we miss the presence of God, we miss His joy. Even believers, brothers and sisters, we can get to a place where we no longer pursue the presence of God. And like David, we have to pray, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation that sin has robbed me of. We, 
if we are missing the presence of God, we're missing the joy that he gives. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, offers a helpful illustration to distinguish between God's general presence everywhere and God's special presence with his children. He puts it this way. Do you know the difference between the relational presence of God and just the general presence of God? You could be in a room, a small room, and you're at a table, and there are ten people in the room, and they are all eating together. And there is a sense in which you are present to all of them. You can see them. You could actually speak to any of them if you wanted. In a way, you are present to all of them, but at the moment, your face is only turned to one person, and you are having a conversation only with them. He goes on to say this, when the Bible talks about the presence of God, it highlights the fact that the presence of God is everywhere. God is present with everyone, but he doesn't have a personal relationship with everyone. His face isn't turned to everyone in that special relationship. Only those who are in Christ Don't make the mistake of believing that God's presence is trivial. Don't make the mistake of believing that you don't need his presence. And don't make the mistake of believing that God's presence doesn't change you. Because it does. If you are a child of God and if God dwells in you, you are going to be different. You're going to be. It's just, so if if you claim, "I, I came to Christ, I know Christ, and nothing changed... It's like a bad perm. It didn't take. (laughs) Something went wrong and it wasn't with God. It was with you. You didn't come to God on his terms. You might might have come to him on on your terms, but not on his. When, When you and I are indwelt by the presence of God, it will change us. There will be no mistaking what God has done in our lives. So God's presence is uncontainable. God's presence is unmistakable. And then third and lastly, God's presence is inescapable. God's presence is inescapable. God, the God that we serve, the God of this word can be scoffed at. He can be mocked at. He can be disbelieved. He can be ignored. He can be spurned. He can be blasphemed. He can even be hated. But ultimately, he cannot be avoided. He cannot be escaped. Listen again in Psalm 139 to the words of David. David says, beginning in verse 7, so Psalm 139, David says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So the question is, did David really want to escape the presence of the Lord? Is this describing a historical event where David just took off running from God? And most people would say there's no evidence of that, but this is kind of David speaking hypothetically, saying, what if I wanted God to get away from you? And then David says, so... God, I'm going to go as far, as high as I can get. I'm going to ascend as high as I can possibly ascend. And you're there. So God, I'm going to reverse this, and I'm going to reverse course, and I'm going to descend as low as I can descend, even to the place of death. Oh, And God, you're still there. 
Okay, God, here's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to jump on the, the light of the morning. Meaning, I'm going to jump on these flashes of, of rays of the sun that are going 186,000 plus miles per second. Because surely if I jump on those with that kind of speed, I can get away from your presence. And guess what? David found out that he is being absolutely blasted right into the presence of God. And then David said, well, hang on a second. What if I go to the depths of the sea where no one has ever been? Surely, God, you're not there. Well, think again. That's the question. Is there not a secluded hideaway? Is there not some remote corner of the universe where God has no access? Is there not some place that you and I can go and do whatever we want to do and sin however we want to sin away from the presence of the Lord? And here's the answer. Find any place on the map, the darkest place of the map, and go there, and guess what you'll find? God is there. He was waiting on you, <laughs> and he is there. Let me end this way. God is omnipresent. The Bible makes it clear. The Bible also says that God is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. So if God is omnipresent now, what will he be forever? Okay, he'll be omnipresent. So God will forever be who he is. Which means, and just follow with me here, because we're going to kind of hit um, two trajectories here, and kind of one's going to be really heavy. Which means, strangely enough, that God's presence will be in some senses, even in hell. So think about that. And that should sound kind of odd to us, especially in light of 2 Thessalonians 1 that says um, that those who reject Christ will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. So those who don't know Christ will suffer punishment away from God's presence. Yet, understand this, the phrase away from the presence of the Lord does not mean Absence from God in every way. It means absence from God in special relationship and communion and understanding and receiving his love. Or in his presence there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. You won't have that. So in what sense will God's presence or will God be present in hell? And, and it's in this sense, God's power will be present in hell as the one who enforces justice, and the one who will continually pour out his wrath. So God's presence will be in hell continually pouring out his wrath upon the unrepentant sinner. And that should break our hearts. Because every single one of us in this room, we have loved ones, we have co-workers, we have neighbors, who if nothing changes in their lives, they will go into the presence of God, not in joy and pleasures forevermore, but experiencing his wrath forever and ever and ever. In the same way, there is another promise that we need to also remember. An amazing promise that to his own, God has promised his presence with us all the days of our lives. And then God has also promised his presence even in the hour of of death, meaning we will not pass that threshold by ourselves. 
In one of his sermons, Donald um, Gray Barnhouse illustrated this truth this way. And just listen to this. He said, think of a mother with a son serving in the military. She doesn't know when her son will return. So she constantly speaks of him this way. When John comes home, he'll fix the window shade. When John comes home, he'll plant the garden. When John comes home, he'll sit in his favorite chair and eat dinner with the whole family. But he says this, why the third person? Why does she say he and not you? Well, the answer is simple, because John isn't home yet. But when he finally comes home and she sees him for the first time, she doesn't cry out, John, he's home. She cries out, John, you're home. Why the change? Because John has now come through the door and is no longer absent, but is now present. Now I want you to listen to some amazingly moving and comforting words. In fact, we just sang them earlier. They're the words of Psalm 23. And I want you to listen for a parallel that's about to happen. David writes these words, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then listen to it. He makes me to lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then hear it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, hear it, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Of course it will because he's with us all the days of our life. And we will dwell in his house, in the house of the Lord, forever and ever and ever and ever. Why the change from he to you? Here's the reason, brothers and sisters, because there are times in our lives, if we have to be honest, and again, church is a good place to be honest, where God feels distant. And in those moments, we cling to the promises and we say, God, you or he, God, he is this, God, and he is this, and we keep reminding ourselves of that. But then I pray that as we do so, God comes near and we say, you, God, you. You, and for the child of God, there is coming a day where we will close our eyes in death, but yet we will not walk through that threshold alone. For Jesus will come and he will walk with us across that great divide. In fact, think of, uh, think of it like this. Psalm 23 is speaking to the believer. And it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So for the believer, we walk through the shadow of death. Let me ask you a question. Which would you rather encounter? A semi-truck, the grill of a semi-truck meeting you head on, going 50 miles an hour, or the shadow of that semi-truck doing the same thing, going 50 miles an hour? Which one would you rather meet? The shadow. And guess what? The beauty, brothers and sisters, don't miss this, is that Jesus Christ endured the grill of the Mack truck filled with the wrath of God so that you and I would only have to face the shadow. But that shadow is difficult. That shadow is scary. That shadow can sometimes make us shiver, yet we'll never walk through that shadow alone. 
Because Jesus doesn't just in that moment lead us through. It's too dark for that. No, he takes our hand and he says, walk with me. Walk with me. And he constantly reminds us in those moments where we can't see, he whispers to us and he says, I'm with you. I'm with you. You're not alone. And because I'm with you, he says this, you're going to make it. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but here's what I do know. If God is with you, you will make it. You will make it. Praise God. We will make it. If God is with us, we have nothing to fear. And then let me ask you this question. If God is for us, here's a good, here's a good question for you to answer. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now let's answer it. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one or nothing. This is the God that we serve. Let me end with the words of Richard Strauss who says this, God is everywhere. He is with us in temptation. He is with us in need. He is with us in loneliness. He is with us through difficult service. He is with us in danger. And bless God, he is with us in death. Begin to cultivate a consciousness of God's presence. Greet him at the beginning of each new day. Remember often throughout the day that he is right there with you. At bedtime, rehearse the events of the day of how he was present with you, then say goodnight to him before you drop off into sleep, remembering that by his grace that you will wake up to a hello the next morning. This is the picture of us in God's presence. He will be with us. And the most serious thing of all for us to know is that we are always in the presence of God. Oh, I pray that that would stir our hearts in a way today that they need to be stirred. If you are here today and you have never turned to Christ and trusted Him as your Savior and Lord, may today be the day that you would go beyond just living in the presence of God and that the presence of God would begin to live in you. And everything will change and nothing will be the same. Or others, maybe there's some in here that are on this hypothetical David journey where we are running as fast as we can away from the presence of God. And maybe we're doing it in plain sight, meaning we're here today in church, but yet we're still running. And by His grace, we're reminded today that we can't outrun Him. We can't get away from Him. He is patiently pursuing us. And He is patiently here. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. And we're going to call the musicians forward. And we're going to enter into a time of invitation and consecration where we say whatever it is the Lord is telling you to do, that we, by his grace and for his glory, would do it. So let's pray together. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, thanking you for your word, thanking you, God, just for how it reveals you, oh God, to be an omnipresent God. You are present everywhere, at all times, limited in no way. Therefore, in this moment, in this very place, you are present in all power. You are present in all your, your faithfulness. God, in your grace and mercy are present here. While at the same time, your Holy Spirit, you are here convicting. Pointing us, God, to our need for you. Pointing us, God, to the sin in our lives, Holy Spirit, just convict us for where we need to be convicted. Maybe that conviction is we don't know you. 
We've never trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And Holy Spirit, show us today our need for salvation. Help us to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. For others in this room that are running, help us to see that we cannot outrun you. Wherever we go, you are there. Thank you for your presence. And thank you for your care and your concern for us. Because you are with us, God, we can rest assured that we will make it through. We're going to make it through, God. If you're in the boat, Lord, we can know for sure that it won't sink. And if it does sink, God, we won't sink. Because we're in you. Finish this time together in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.